welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 81st episode, our returning guest is Dr. Elizabeth Yuko. You first heard from Dr. Elizabeth Yuko on episode 54 of the podcast. Dr. Elizabeth Yuko is a bioethicist and the health and sex editor at She Knows, as well as an adjunct professor of ethics at Fordham University in New York City. She specializes in reproductive and sexual health ethics and the intersection of ethics and pop culture. She has been published in The New York Times, The Washington Post, Rolling Stone, and The Atlantic, among others. And now, on to the show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Oh, good, good. Thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'm so sorry about the lag in uh, responding. Most messages I get uh, via Twitter are telling me that I'm either dumb or fat or like <laughs> ruining the world. So I tend to like see them when they first come up and be like, "Yeah, I'm done," and then not revisit that particular uh, mailbox. No, yeah, so. I, I totally understand. Yeah, Twitter's a garbage fire, and then I'll I'll contact you through other means from now on. No problem. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's really fine. But I don't want to put you in that. In that uh, in that category. Oh, yeah, good. I, I don't. I don't think any of those things about you. I, <laughs> I wouldn't have you on the show if I did. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. But uh, I'm really excited to talk to you again. And um, last time we uh, we talked a lot about the uh, the serial podcast. Um, and then I noticed a couple days after we talked, you had an article in Rolling Stone about the uh, the church uh, services, um, which I thought was really interesting because it kind of raised a lot of questions that you brought up in your in your article. Um, and uh, you know, you talked about the difference between it being BDSM or, or self harm and, and kind of where the line was. So yeah, I thought that was a really interesting article. Thank you. But that was yeah, that was listening to Town. Um, I mean, there's so many ethical issues that popped up, and uh, as someone who looks at ethics in the media, that um, yeah, there were just many things that, that I wanted to focus on, but for, when we got to that episode, I thought, like, ah, okay, this is there's lots of issues with consent and with autonomy mm-hmm. and coercion, possibly, and uh, it's just something that I wanted to look a little bit deeper into. Yeah, and it was also interesting because it didn't sound like, what was the guy's name? What was his friend's name that was doing it? Um, blanking on that. Oh, not Terry. Uh, yeah. So long. I know. So many things have happened since I listened to that. <laughs> 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 I've slept so many times. But um, yeah. And anyway, Tyler. He, yeah, Tyler. he didn't. Uh, Tyler, exactly. Yeah, he he didn't seem to know the reason for it, and he was the one participating in it. So there was that question of of consent, and it was like he didn't know exactly what what he was getting out of it. I mean, of course, only John B. Macklemore knew exactly what he was getting out of it. But it has to be some kind of like pain, pleasure. You know what I mean? If you're just tattooing the same spot over and over again with no ink in the you know barrel or whatever so um yeah i thought that raised yeah. some interesting questions so um but another uh, another podcast that i mentioned after we talked uh that we didn't get to talk about that i wanted to talk about was missing richard simmons um yeah. what did you think of that podcast because i i don't think i'd listened to the entire thing when i when i asked you that and and it extended his sense concluded but what was your what was your thoughts on that after having listened to that I don't know. I mean, I mostly I'm just glad he's okay. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but it was a very invasive way of going about that. Right? Yeah. And, um, 
I mean, as a journalist, you want to tell a story and you want to get facts out there, but uh, you have to also balance that with a person's right to privacy. Mm-hmm. And um, after living in the public eye for so many years, and not just living in the public eye, but really being a bright, glittery part uh, <laughs> of pop culture, uh, he might have just had the right to. Um, sure you know, go off by himself in, in his house. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little uncomfortable listening to it. I listened to the entire thing. Me and, too. Yeah. You know, as soon as it came out. Um, I mean, I probably mentioned last time my, my deep love of Richard Simmons. Oh yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, I have a, a picture of him at my desk uh, <laughs> at work. Nice. Um, <laughs> I mean, among a few other people, it was, uh, anytime that our art department makes something for an article that I write here at she knows that I love, I end up printing that out and, mm-hmm. uh, putting it on my desk. The oh, most nice. recent edition is um, Jane Fonda looking at Megyn Kelly with laser beams hanging out of her eyes. <laughs> so and I want to say this last week or the week before when Megyn Kelly is like, so let's talk about your plastic surgery. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it's kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah. Anyway, totally off traffic. No, it's okay. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it was yeah, just straight. I, I was. It was just really weird. Like I felt like that guy felt like that. Like Richard Simmons owed him something, and it's like I don't think Richard yeah. Simmons owes any of us anything. I think he left it all out on the field for however many decades. And I think that if he wants to retreat into himself, or even if he is being, you know, held not held captive or whatever by his his maid, you know, if that if there, he has a protector and someone looks after him and he's he's done putting it all out out there and getting his foot run over for people and he's like, you know, it's like exactly. Yeah, it's like I th- I think he. He gave us everything he had to give for a while, so it's it's okay if he wants to take a, a break from the glitter or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> but and uh, I, yeah. I mean, not to diagnose him at all, but as someone who struggled with mental illness on and off throughout the years, there have definitely been times when I've retreated in and not talked to people for a while. I mean, not that way. I would still obviously attend sure. work and talk to my family, but you know, the friends that live out of town or that you know you don't necessarily see on a regular basis, you kind of just if they're not part of your inner circle, it's easy to kind of just let people fall off and it's, mm-hmm. you know, nothing personal about them. You just, if you're not in the mental space to be carrying on those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I can, absolutely. I can absolutely see where he's coming from. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, now, uh, how is your uh, school year going? You're, you're a, you're a teacher, lest we forget. And you're, uh, yeah. you're right in the midst of the, the semester now. So how's that going? <laughs> it's going well. Yes. Uh, so I'm teaching ethics and pop culture again at cool. Florida university, uh, to undergrads, which is really fun. And, uh, this past week we did, uh, early social issues and sitcoms from the 50s, 70s. Mm. So a lot of Norman Lear mm. and, um, we ended up watching the two part mod abortion episode and, um, kind of got their feedback on that. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't alive when that aired, and so my students definitely were not alive when that aired, and uh, to kind of see the language that was used, the issues that were brought up on that, and then a lot of other normal Lear shows, especially All in the Family, mm-hmm. I think they were a little surprised at... Uh, at how unfortunately similar the dialogue could be today, uh, to, you know, especially regarding certain social movements, kind of control, equality, race, uh, as they were in the seventies. So that was huh. that was something. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I guess I don't remember that one replaying on Nick at Night that much. So I have to go back and, no. and review that one. <laughs> Ma's abortion. So it's called Ma's dilemmas. Ah, parts okay. of it. Huh. And it's one of the. Uh, 
often cited uh, like sitcoms can make a difference or pop culture is uh, trying to take a stand on things mm-hmm. episodes. So, um, right. and it's not, it, it would, what I used for class is not only because I love B. Arthur, um, mm-hmm. because she's a, a national treasure mm-hmm. uh, and comedic genius and everything, um, but also because her decision whether or not to have an abortion was not it wasn't something that she reached immediately. It was a two-part episode where she really weighed the risks and benefits of being pregnant as an older mother, of giving birth as an older mother, of uh, her life, her husband's life. So it wasn't just, I'm pregnant, I'm keeping it, or I'm pregnant, I'm aborting it. It Mm. was, I thought, a really, for an ethics class, a really good example of someone weighing uh, weighing their options and the risks and benefits of something. So that's the reason I use it. Well, that's a pretty interesting time period for that to, you know, be on TV because you kind of think of TV being kind of stodgy back then, but I've, I don't know. I've, I feel like the seventies was kind of a breakout time for a lot of sitcoms talking about kind of stuff like that. It was pretty heady in a lot of ways. So. It definitely was. Yeah. I mean, basically any episode of mash you watch, mm-hmm. um, especially from a bioethics perspective, um, when you have medical care going on in some sort of war situation, uh, there are all sorts of, uh, issues that arise and, uh, improvisational medicine that has to happen sometimes and decisions about allocation of resources. So, um, yeah, they definitely, that was definitely a, a big social justice, uh, pop culture decade. Oh, for sure. Um, and more recently I, I saw that you had, uh, held a Lane Bennis appreciation night to raise money for uh, Planned Parenthood. That looked like pretty I fun. Did. <laughs> <laughs> it was super fun. Yeah. So, um, among my other, uh, fictional heroines is Elaine Bennis. Yeah, she's uh, she's. Uh, what what makes her special to you, though? Um. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. A lot of things. I think mm-hmm. she's she's just very comfortable in herself and her own skin, mm-hmm. and she's not trying to impress anybody. She's smarter than her friends, and she's fine with that. She dates who she wants to date. If she's not dating anyone, that's totally fine. That's you know not a major part of her life. Uh, she has principles. So even when she's dating a really hot mover, when she finds out that he's as she puts it anti-abortion, mm-hmm. um, which coincidentally will be my drag name, uh, should I ever enter that <laughs> arena, um, she breaks up with him. And uh, she has other instances where um, George asks her for help uh, slipping a Mickey to his boss, and mm-hmm. he tells her that he doesn't recycle. So you know, based on that principle, she's like, okay, I'm in. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah, I just I appreciate all of that and just really speaking her mind. Uh, and and not she, she was unlike a lot of the women uh, on TV even mm-hmm. now, but definitely in the nineties. And um, the way she emphasized or her character emphasized uh, the need for sexual equality and that women's sexual pleasure is something that's important was totally unprecedented. So um, episodes where she's like, my boyfriend's not doing what I want him to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or the fact that she even was in the contest, because initially the writers were going to leave her out because like, you can't put a woman in a masturbation contest. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, yeah, she kind of turned the tables on all of that. Mm -hmm. So I wrote an article specifically on that aspect um, on her kind of progressive sexual attitudes for Playboy last year and uh, interviewed a friend of mine, uh, Jennifer Armstrong, who wrote uh, the book Seinfeldia. And um, we both live in New York and have done a few events together since then. And we both have wanted to do something Elaine-focused and basically, Mm -hmm. yeah, an Elaine appreciation night. So after the election, when everyone was thinking, like, 
what can I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything is terrible. Right. Um, we thought, like, what if we use our very specific set of skills to <laughs> raise money for women's health using our knowledge of this particular sitcom character. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how that how that came to be. And so, yes, we had it in uh, Space Town in Lower Manhattan and Kenny Kramer, the uh, real-life uh, Cosmo Kramer oh, made nice. an appearance. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so, I mean, Jennifer and I both know him uh, for, for various Seinfeld activities. He has a tendency to pop up places, so um, that was mm-hmm. that was interesting. But yeah, that was that was great. Cool. Yeah, and of course, uh, I think a lot of that had to do with uh, Elaine being special. You know, with Julia Louis Dreyfus uh, kind of playing her and, and providing yeah. that. Yeah. So I think you know, I, I think back to my childhood, and I, I remember when that episode about the sponge-worthiness came. Out. That, that just blew yeah. my mind. Like I was like, well, I must have been like fourteen or fifteen, and I was like, what, what, what? Like, that definitely <laughs> opened up a new. New, uh, new information stream for me, but um, I did think it was interesting here recently with Julie Lee Dreyfus is she actually used the occasion of announcing her breast cancer diagnosis to advocate for universal health care as well. So that, I thought yeah. that was pretty powerful. So definitely, yeah, she's always been. Uh, I mean, she was a vocal supporter of Hillary. She's been mm-hmm. a vocal supporter of Planned Parenthood for years, and has always been interested in women's health issues off camera as well. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think I think she announced that the week after our show, so it was very, uh, mm. they were very, uh, uh, not that she did it on purpose, obviously, but the sure. timing was very close. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that was, and this fun to wear the episode that, now that you mentioned that, um, I mean, it, it's great for a lot of reasons, but one thing I especially appreciate is the fact that she has this conversation with George and asks him, so does Susan use? He's like, oh, I don't know. And she's like, what do you mean you don't know what birth control your fiance or girlfriend uses? Right. And that's kind of introduced the notion of men having to take some sort of, um, uh, you know, not responsibility, but at least taking, you know, they should be involved in birth making birth control decisions, not decisions, but at least like know what's going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> like have some sort of awareness. Yeah. And, um, um, so I think having that message like very clearly relayed on the number one TV show uh, was was huge. Mm-hmm, definitely. Now, have you seen the new uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm yet? I haven't. No, I, have I haven't to watch either. It. So I'll just I have, have to, to be jealous that. of everyone else, I guess, along with you. But um, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we also last time we talked, we talked a little bit about cults, and you've written a, a couple <laughs> interesting articles for Rolling Stone about that. Um, the first one I wanted to ask you about was. The, was this R. Kelly case, uh, which, you know, kind of, you know, it's interesting we're talking today after that big Harvey Weinstein thing came out yesterday, and and all these yeah. kind of men are, you know, these high-profile men that, it's always amazing to me when you hear about these guys, and it's like, oh, everybody knew that, and I'm like, everybody knew that? Really? I didn't know that. Like, wait, how, how many people, how many other people do we everybody know about, and we just don't say, and but, you know, R. Kelly's, you know, the, been one of these people that, you know, the reporter, obviously, that, that wrote that story has been on to him for for a while, I'm blanking on his name, oh, but yeah. uh, Jim G. D. R- Titus. I'm, he used to write for a Chicago paper, and now I think he does that NPR show, and he wrote that BuzzFeed article anyway uh, about R. Kelly kind of running a, a cult or saying or there's people saying that that he has some kind of cult of women uh, that he, he keeps around. Um, but yeah, could you explain that situation a little bit? Sure. Now, because that is still kind of ongoing in the news, uh-huh. I'm. Uh, uh, not really in a great position to be uh, 
like uh, describing what's happening, I uh-huh. guess, especially because it's still in court and everything. Uh, okay. But um, what I can say is, yes, when you have anybody exercising uh, coercive behavior over other people and limiting their ability to make their own decisions and controlling different aspects of their life, like where they live, how they dress, what they eat, um, any sort of sexual activity, then it's probably a good idea to question the situation to make sure that the people in it are there willingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, I mean, cults come in all sizes. They don't necessarily have to be giant Jonestown size mm-hmm. um, situations. They could be uh, much smaller and a lot of times take the form of abusive relationships on a larger scale. So, um yeah, I think as I was looking into this and talking to people who have been in abusive relationships, uh, not necessarily in a cult context, a lot of people said, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I can relate to the women who are, who are staying or who are, you know, didn't really realize what was going on mm-hmm. because it's easy to kind of get caught up in that, in that cycle. Oh, absolutely. When, when you're the, on the receiving end of, of abuse like that. So when you have the kind of the, well, why didn't they just leave? Why didn't they just pick up and go? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that easy. So Right, right. And a lot of times I feel like the cult leaders kind of pick people that are already in a, a, a bad situation or there's no one looking after them. And it's kind of, you know what I mean? They, they kind of swoop in when there's that vacuum and, you know, they kind of become that everything to them. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, you also wrote uh, another one for Rolling Stone about a list of uh, five different cults. And I, of course, it heard of uh, several of them. Of course, the, uh, the Jonestown. And, and the uh, Heaven's Gate and that, but there was one or two that I hadn't, and I was hoping you could talk a little bit about uh, Sol Sullivanian Sullivanians. Is that how you say it? Uh, I think so. I feel like that's one of those words that I have never said out loud. But <laughs> yeah, me either. Or read in print. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was um, kind of like a therapy institute gone wrong. Um, So uh, they had a compound, not a compound, like a three-building area on the Upper Mm -hmm. West Side here in Manhattan, and uh, it it functioned both as a place people would go to seek um, psychological care and therapy, um, but also a polyamorous uh, commune, mm-hmm. and um, also of note that the person in charge uh, did not have formal training as a psychi- psychologist. So um, where that kind of comes in, especially from an ethical point of view, is that practicing psychologists and psychiatrists are held to very strict codes of ethics um, by the American Psychological Association and American uh, Psychiatric Association. Mm-hmm. And um, when you are not a member of those, you're not held to a code of ethics because you're, you know, you're not part of that professional group. So um, they kind of just acted however, however they wanted, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was kind of a. I don't want to say free love situation, but they weren't exclusive relationships. Um, and any children who ended up being born there were sent away to uh, a boarding school or to other relatives or caretakers. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was a, a strange group, but a therapy cult is not kind of your, your traditional 
Yeah, like. yeah, that was a little bit out of left field there. But um, the uh, the other one that I had heard a little bit about, but I've I've only kind of recently known more about, was the Children of God, and uh, I actually only knew of them because, as you mentioned in your article here, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and and obviously his whole family, uh, and I guess Rose McGowan, which I didn't know, uh, grew up in that cult, and I had heard uh, from previous interviews or something that you know the whole Phoenix family kind of that's why they learned their uh, their shtick, their you know performing on the street, you know, for that was basically how they earned money to eat food is they were just kind of performing on the street. So, I mean, that was kind of their upbringing. Um, but yeah, that, that's a pretty interesting situation. So yeah, the whole having sex with children aspect, mm-hmm. not great. Not so good. Um, <laughs> no. So, and that was kind of a main, like a, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they still exist today and, uh, that part is no longer, uh, they, they do not advocate, uh, sex with children anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'm not really familiar with their current, uh, iteration, mm-hmm. so I don't really know what they're doing, but I, um, but yeah, initially I don't, I mean, I don't blame walking for no, or no, not, not wanting to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd leave as soon as I could do that. That's totally understandable. Um, but, uh, kind of switching gears a little bit. Uh, one interesting thing that, that you wrote about that I was actually just talking with my wife about the other day is, uh, this company you wrote about, uh, was giving women pregnancy tests, uh, during job interviews or they were trying to. Um, and, and I was just uh, talking to my wife the other day about how difficult it is for, for women, you know, trying to like find employment while they were pregnant. Cause like she was saying that she knew people that hid the fact that they were pregnant while they, you know, were going around interviewing for jobs just cause they knew it would hurt their chances in reality. You know, obviously you can't officially not give someone a job for that reason, but you know, that they, they felt, she, they felt like if, if they disclosed that, you know, or, you know, were upfront about that, that they would be, you know, not considered for the job that they were qualified for just based on that. So it's, it's a kind of a weird uh, thing that we do in this country because we don't have protections for women, I guess, uh, to, you know, have, uh, you know, have pregnancy and, and, and you know, uh, maternal leave and, and things like that, that, you know, that's that's a strike against you in a lot of ways. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have been in work situations myself, not as a pregnant mm-hmm. person, but uh, a colleague of mine was hiding her pregnancy. And it was the point of, I mean, luckily, this is where my sitcom training really paid off <laughs> because I was like, okay, so when you walk past the boss's office, you're going to carry this big envelope. Right. Or you're going to carry this box in front of your bump. Uh-huh. Or, like, she had, like, a several-week-long poisoning uh, problem, which was really just morning sickness, and she ended up... It was, it was like, we went to great lengths to hide it. And, I mean, it, that was for good reason. Uh, that also is not in this country, so that was a little bit different. But it was... We were still... She had a job, and we were still afraid because the contract was up for renewal that, mm-hmm. you know, being pregnant would in some way, would in some way harm that. That, uh, that chance. So, yeah, I think the article you were referring to was uh, a Spanish airline that was mm. doing the pregnancy test. Wow. And that was a slightly, I mean, they were able to, I mean, they didn't get away with it because there were people mm-hmm. like me who were like, you can't say that. Right. Um, and obviously, a big New York Times article about it as well, mm-hmm. but they did it under the guise of health. So, uh, you know, because pregnant people aren't supposed to be flying at a certain point in their pregnancy, we want to make sure that anyone we bring on for their best interest, mm-hmm. um, you know, are not unknowingly pregnant. <laughs> but <laughs> This is for your own good, sweetie, okay? <laughs> right, exactly. 
exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it shouldn't be, you know, like, what was your last job? What are your greatest weaknesses? Pee on a stick. Like, it's, I, that, that should not be a part of no, it. No, so, absolutely not. Um, yeah, so that was kind of one of the more, one of the more ridiculous <laughs> news stories I covered this summer. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy that, I mean, I know you said this happened in, in Spain or whatever, but it just, it just infuriates me that other countries have these protections for, um, you know, maternity, maternity leave, paternity leave, you know, in this country, it's like, if you're, uh, you know, I'm from the father's perspective, I've, you can hear my children crying in the background, I'm sure, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, if, if you are somebody that has a kid and you take paternity leave, you're, you know, putting yourself at risk, you know, in this country, because there is no protection for that kind of thing. If you want oh, to spend absolutely. time, but what does society tell us? Oh, where's the fathers? You know, a father don't want to spend any time with their kids. It's like, well, I want to spend time with my kids. Let me do that. <laughs> Please, somebody. <laughs> so anyway, it's just, uh, just infuriating. But, um, uh, one thing that I, um, surprised you had to write about, uh, was an eyeball tattoo, uh, which I was not aware Ooh. of. Uh, and I saw the picture of uh, on Twitter one day and I, I thought it was fake. And then I was like, Oh no, that's real. Oh no. <laughs> like, oh, I, that is very real. Yeah. I never heard of that before. So, uh, that, that's a bad, right. That's a bad idea. Right. Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Don't tattoo your eyeball. That okay. was I believe my headline to that was literally, please don't tattoo your eyeball. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, there was, so the, there was one, there was a guy in Canada, a body modification artist. Um, I can't, he was like, not buck wild. That's George Cassandra's born name, but it's something a lot. Luna Cobra, that was his name, mm-hmm. um, who invented the procedure. And even he's coming out and saying like, no, 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 no. I know what I'm doing. Most other people who copy this don't. So probably you don't want to inject a mixture of saline and ink into your eyeball, mm-hmm. uh, into the whites of your eye. Mm-hmm. So it changes color. Um, so in general, not, not recommend. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would not recommend it. But in this particular case, the woman who had it done, who is a model in Canada, her boyfriend was a body modification artist, mm. and um, he kind of coerced her into doing it, and uh, didn't really take the proper precautions when he did it. He didn't mix the ink with the saline, and rather than giving her um, several short injections, he just gave her one big dose, mm-hmm. and so. I mean, it's not a good idea at, at any case, but you know, if, if if you do it incorrectly, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess the the main takeaway aside from not getting your eyeballs tattooed is if you're in a relationship with someone who insists on you dyeing your eyeballs purple, that maybe it wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, artificial wombs, I uh, was I was not aware of uh, this before, oh, yeah. and uh, you know, I, I think it's really interesting. Kind Kind of, you know, relating this to the this abortion ban that we've that we've got coming through for what is it, twenty weeks? What they're that mm-hmm. they're trying to put it through, and, and they're they're basing that on what the viability of a, a fetus outside the womb is. That's the limit that it could be is, is twenty weeks. Is that where they're drawing that line? Um, uh, they're drawing that line from that as well as some not very reputable science saying mm. that that's the point where the fetus can feel pain. Oh, okay. I so, um, but all I mean that's just. Hard. I mean, and now is when they're like, "Oh yeah, now we believe in science." Right. <laughs> no. Suddenly, when it's convenient, thing, <laughs> then yes, I'll take science, but not for global warming or literally anything else. Right, exactly. um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, and that's just it. I mean, since 
Roe v. Wade pat, or was uh, ruled that this has mm-hmm. you know been been the goal. So it's just the latest iteration of that. Um, yeah, artificial wombs are kind of crazy. Um, the most recent uh, advancement back, I think, it was the end of April, beginning of May, that the Lamb study was published, mm-hmm. uh, is the biggest advancement we've had in quite a few years. Uh, I, my PhD topic was on artificial wombs. Oh wow! So this is something I followed for a few years and. And uh, logistically, I mean, we haven't gotten to the human stage yet, but with animals, it was very difficult to keep them sustained within an artificial atmosphere, but uh, without them, like, kicking too much. So they tried this with goats, and uh, they, you know, kicked and moved around too much and were, I think, breaking out of the, out of the womb. It wasn't really working. So you had to give them muscle relaxers and tranquilizers. So they ended up finishing... Uh, kind of their physical gestation process, but their limbs were not functional because they weren't able to develop. So that's kind of where we had installed for quite a few years. Um, and then this land trial happened and kind of brought it ever, you know, brought it back up. So, um, yeah. yeah, lots of, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it blew, blew my mind, uh, and kind of made me think of another thing. Have you heard of this, uh, lab grown meat that they're doing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was, I, back when I was doing my PhD, my supervisor was on the ethics committee for the EU who was looking into this specific issue Oh wow! and okay. would come back from meetings and kind of report back and say, okay, well, we have PETA on our side, or not on our side, you know, PETA are in favor of it now. And, uh-huh. um, you know, it was interesting to see who would come out in support of it and the motives behind it. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely something that will happen first in Europe, uh, mm-hmm. especially because they don't have, I mean, depending on the country, they do have strong beef industries, but nothing like what we have here. Mm-hmm. So you don't have this pushback from, yeah, from big beef, I guess. Right, <laughs> um, right. And, uh, yeah, but it's interesting having conversations with people who are vegetarian or vegan um, as to whether they would eat meat grown in a lab where right. no animal has been killed. Um, so whether or not that is, uh, you know, that takes care of an ethical objection or if they're not eating it for health reasons. Uh, yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like ethically, I would like to do that. It's just the idea of eating lab grown meat kills still kind of grosses me out. But then again, I eat meat that's probably from a factory farm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's probably yeah. terrible in its own way. So, yeah, I really shouldn't be that grossed out by something that's, you know, not, it's cruelty free by design. One thing that you had uh, that I thought was interesting was donating blood uh, after the Las Vegas shooting. And, you know, obviously, when, when something terrible happens, we want to, um, you know, we want to do something. And, you know, that's a very, you know, that's a real thing people can do in their lives is go get blood. And obviously people need that. But as you pointed out, there is a shelf life and there's a short shelf life for, for most blood. So really, you should probably wait to do that. Right. I mean, that's that's the thing. Um, it is a thing. So this is coming from United Blood Service uh, in Nevada. And so they just had an overwhelming uh, outpouring of people wanting to donate blood right after the shootings, which is amazing. Um, but, yeah, they sent out a release. And. And basically said, um, thank you so much, but uh, blood has a 42-day shelf life, Mm -hmm. and for platelets, it's only five days. Mm. So we've met the needs of the people who are in the hospital for this right now. So rather than you donate right now,
now and maybe have some of that blood not be used, make appointments for the future. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, operations that, I mean, the, there's a constant need for blood anywhere, all over the place right. anyway. So um, that's there. We're usually not in this position where we have too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but even you still would be able to help people from that specific instance because people are going to have surgeries, you know, uh, based on consequences mm-hmm. of the shooting for you know months and years to come. Of so course, yeah, um, yeah so, and that's not. Uh, like a blanket, don't give blood anywhere right now. It's that's more localized to the Nevada area. Oh, I see. So, okay. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was a really. I give credit to that particular um, organization in Nevada for saying that because it just logistically makes sense. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're asking people to literally give parts of themselves, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that it's being used. Um, so, oh yeah, absolutely. As a donor, I appreciate that. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's just that's not usually the message you hear from from them, and so it's a little bit. No, not at all. <laughs> but you're right. There's something tangible that you can do because you're mm-hmm. just when something like that happens, you just. I mean, we all came to work on Monday and we're just, what do we, what, what do we do with ourselves? How do we even function? How do right. we, what do we cover? Like as journalists, what do we cover? Do we only cover Las Vegas stuff today? Do we, mm-hmm. you know, put some of our other content in there? What comes across as incentive? Yeah. It's, it's a lot of, a lot of questions mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, giving blood, I mean, it's, you go somewhere, you know, in that case you're standing in line, maybe you're talking to other people. I'm sure it's, you know, cathartic in some way, mm-hmm. but, uh, yes, you yeah. can make the, have the cathartic part be making the appointment for several weeks from now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you're in the Nevada area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, another so. frustration I've heard from people is that there's still the ban on gay men donating yes. blood. I mean, what is your opinion on, on that? That was a very outdated, um, regulation dating back to the time when AIDS was blamed pretty much exclusively on gay men. Mm-hmm. And, um, this is no, and we have, we have tests and we have ways that, mm-hmm. um, you, know, you can test blood and you can test a person, but having a blanket ban is really not helping anybody. Yeah. And also further stigmatizing a group that's already stigmatized. Right. So, and it's pretty um, much like every sexually active gay man in the world. Cause it's like, have you had sex with a man who has had sex with a man who's, you know, whatever the question is, it's like, well, that's pretty much right. everybody. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, but, another, uh, yeah. yeah. But another thing that you wrote about, which was kind of in the response to a disaster, was getting uh, menstrual uh, products to uh, people that were recovering from Hurricane Harvey. Um, oh, yeah. That was a fun one. Yeah. I mean, not fun. Sorry. It was that got totally wrong. But the article was, was terrible. The response was, was unexpected. But the response the was unexpected. Then what was negative? What were people saying? Um, I, it was not to the hurricane people in general, but to me saying I have to get my priorities straight. Um, that I, you know, basically I'm a crazy person. That you know, people need food and water and shelter. This is, you know, they don't. This is not a time when you should be worrying about tampons. And I'm like, okay, well, that clearly was said by someone who has never bled mm-hmm. on themselves for several days, a week, um, or a month for a giant chunk of their lives. And um, I mean, with Texas, it was a little bit different than uh, the situation in the islands right now because people could physically get in a car and drive down to the affected area mm-hmm. um, and donate things. And at that stage, there seemed to be a lot in the way of food and supplies and other mm-hmm. things. But one thing that people just tend to overlook in 
homeless shelter situations as well as disaster response is menstrual products. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you have a large, I mean, at least half the population uh, with those parts, and uh, considering the large amount of people that were affected, there is probably a lot of people who were menstruating at the time and mm-hmm. probably didn't have time to run and grab that box of tampons before they left their house. And um, so that was. I figured, okay, this is <laughs> this is where I have contacts. So I was I contacted a bunch of people that I knew in the um, mm-hmm. it, it kind of went in the smaller company areas and uh, put together a list and worked out. Um, I, I hope well. I need to follow up on that. Unfortunately, because the next natural disaster came so quickly after that, mm-hmm. uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been one after another for the past few weeks now. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but I, some of the responses I got was, I mean, some of them were very racist. Like, why would I give anything to uh, the people who live, in, who, you know, who live illegal or not my words, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, illegal immigrants, that sort of thing? Um, one guy very helpfully suggested that he would help me make organic uh, non-GMO tampons by taking pine cones from his yard and wrapping them Uh, in poison ivy, and that would be an effective way. So, yeah, I'm like, that, you just described a super violent act. That's like not okay. Um, So... Yeah, so that was... Yeah, well, and and it's funny, too, because you're suggesting something that's actually helpful, and, you know, again, I was talking to my wife about this, because, of course, they had all the big semi-trailers that they were filming around here to send to the the victims of of Harvey, and people were, like, donating, like, winter coats, and it's like, I don't think people need the winter coats, and, like, you know, like, there's all these clothes they can't use, and it's, like, all this, this, you know, stuff that they they can't do anything with, and this is a real thing that people need, you know, so it's, like, a practical, what do we need right now? Well, need you know tampons you know get up you right. know so yeah it's yeah it's, it's just frustrating <laughs> i didn't have a question there it's just frustrating um but uh, another another frustrating thing is uh well it's kind of been nice to see though with uh, dr jen gunther's work critiquing goop yeah um i really appreciate what she's had to say um you know with uh, why do you think gwyneth paltrow is is dabbling in these like pseudosciences <laughs> thing i don't generally think of her as a as a crazy person but this you know she's talking about jade eggs being shoved up there and, and all these crazy yeah. things. It's like, you know, why, why is she doing this? And, you know, she seems so recalcitrant to any kind of like fact checking on any of this kind of stuff. So it's, yeah. I wish I had an answer. <laughs> it's just I kind mean, of about, yeah. Wellness in quotes has become a huge, huge business. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the idea of self care, which has been a term that's been around for a while, but it's really kind of come into it though in the past maybe two years. Um, people are really taking that, uh, not to an extreme, mm-hmm. but are more open minded about treatments, not even treatments, about things you do to yourself that you probably um, mm-hmm. wouldn't have considered before. And what made um, the star of sliding doors and authority on uh, wellness practices, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's making a ton of money off of it. Yeah. So I can see why she's why she's focusing on it. And um, I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I've been in touch with Dr. Uh, Jen Gunther about a few things because we see eye to eye on a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, she wrote a really great article recently on autonomy and how um, Gwyneth is saying, you know, women have agency and I'm, you know, giving them information about their bodies and helping them take control. And um, Dr. Gunther was kind of saying, well, really, is it autonomy if, you know, you're, um, you know, trying to tell people that they're not well if they don't purchase this $60 magic oil or, you know, whatever else they're, they're peddling. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tricky. But I mean, and there's, there's that aspect, but then some of the things are actually harmful. So, um, mm-hmm. like with the jade egg, she wrote, uh, Dr. Gunther wrote a report, uh, an article on this basically saying, you know, here are the possible health risks to using something like this. So it's not just a 40 or $60 piece of rock you're sticking up yourself. Here's what could possibly go wrong. Mm. Um, yeah. So, what is what was supposed to be the point of that? Is it supposed to increase your muscle strength because you're holding it in or something? Is that yeah, the idea? Yeah. It's supposed to, yeah, it's supposed to increase muscle strength down there. Uh, pelvic floor is a big kind of, I mean, pelvic floor is super important. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you don't necessarily have to exercise it by putting a weight inside of it. Can you just uh, do like Kegel exercises yeah, or something like that? Absolutely. Wouldn't that do the and same there's thing? There's certain types of yeah. yoga and certain types of other exercises where you can see a physical therapist who actually uh, is trained in uh, in that area uh, to help you do that rather than sticking uh, a rock up yourself. So, um, I mean, and then they have the, this, some women report increased sexual pleasure and, but I mean, that could be, I mean, some women report sexual pleasure from exercising, you know, it's, sure. it's, you know, it's all over the place. So that can't really be a, can't really be a deciding factor, but yeah, she's going to is a, uh, uh, a wellness. It does, yeah, I, as someone who works in the health journalism space, I did not predict that I would be <laughs> spending so much time and energy on Gwyneth Paltrow. Right, exactly. All right, we've we got don't tattoo your eyeballs and don't stick rocks inside yourself. So I think we're I think we're doing good. We're getting some good information out to people. <laughs> <laughs> what we're here for? We're, yeah, we're just we're just knocking down this left and right. Um, now it's uh, I, uh, it's October, so I wanted to uh, kind of end on. A, a kind of Halloween-ish note. What is your favorite Halloween movie? Oh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I've always been really scared of scary movies. Hmm. So I haven't really watched them. I remember watching Scream, which I know is not a scary, really considered a scary movie. I had a sleepover, and I don't know what grade I was in, <laughs> but being like, ah, it's terrifying. <laughs> um, so I haven't seen Hocus Pocus in years, but that's a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a movie, but I have been listening to the podcast Lore a lot. Mm, I've uh, heard of that recently. one, yeah. Um, and it's going to be turned. It is what well, was turned into a show on Amazon. Um, mm. That's going to be premiering later this month, and the host, uh, who I believe is a horror writer himself, takes uh, actual folklore or things that have happened in real life and kind of tell the the real life spooky tale behind it with some very atmospheric piano music and it's very dramatic. Mm. Um, so that's about as close as I can get. And I think whatever my brain imagines is like the the scenarios are is probably as bad as I could get. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. My, my my wild imagination is I'm going to sleep every night. It's probably the worst horror movie there is. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a great. Um, oh, that's okay. I find uh, Hocus Pocus horrifying, but for a totally different reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 
probably 15 years since I've actually seen it. I just oh. remember the women in it uh-huh. <laughs> and being yeah. like, they're witches. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just remember that one guy got turned into a cat and that kind of freaked me out. But <laughs> All right. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that detail stuck in my head. But uh, anyway, uh, is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you'd like to get in there before we go? No, you have, you have gone down the line. Yep. <laughs> I tried to get to everything. But, uh, a very thorough list. Yes, I tried to. But uh, thank you for coming back on. It's always good to talk to you, and hope you have you a good too. rest of your day. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount.
Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.